Yeah, I don't know about you, but um, that video is a little hard to watch uh, at times. It maybe is a little bit too realistic, a little bit too reflective of the culture that we live in, the times that we live in, uh, because the reality is we live in a time where it's so easy to be distracted. Uh, it's a time when it's actually difficult to not be distracted, a time when it's difficult to be focused because of distractions, constant distractions, a constant stream of information, entertainment, and stimulation at our fingertips. Uh, it's convenient, it's appealing, it's, uh, it's delightful, it's maddening, it's demanding, it's overwhelming, it's, it's all of those things all at once. And the vast majority of us are part of it. And by, by a show of phones, not a show of hands, but a show of phones, Yes, I would like you to reach into your purse or your jacket or wherever it is right now. Okay, you have permission to do that. Actually, I'm asking you to do that. It would be an imperative command in the Greek. Um, by show of phones, how many of you have a smartphone? Yes. A phone that gives you access. Keep it up. A phone that gives you access to email, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, text messages, all kinds of other stuff you don't want. Um, yeah, we all have them, right? At our fingertips. Uh, but there's one thing that we don't do very often, and that's what we're going to do on the count of three, uh -huh, is we're going to hold down the power button until that little slide to turn off notice comes up. Okay? And we're going to do this thing. It's called power it down. Okay? On the count of three, because we're going to need moral support here. Okay, So on the count of three... You can do this, okay? You are hearing the voice of the enemy that tells you that you cannot do this, but that is not true. You can do this, okay? We're here with you, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah. Yes. Did we lose anyone? No. Okay. When was the last time you did that? Did you know your phone could do that? <laughs> it can. Now you know. Fun fact for you that you picked up here at church today. Uh, but the reality is, for us, a, a lot of the time, it's unsettling to do that. It's unsettling to turn this off. And if you want to know what kind of a challenge it is, you know, some of us are okay with it, right? Because we're just sitting in church. But here's the challenge for you, okay? Walk out of these doors, and see how long it is before you have to turn this bad boy back on, okay? That, that is your indication of how deep we are into this technology, or maybe better said, how deep it is into us. So we're going to talk today uh, about technology, um, about this uh, stuff that we have just at, at our fingertips at any given moment. And for me, it's a real love-hate relationship, okay? I'm not sure whether it's more love or more hate, but it's a, it's a love-hate relationship with it because I love what it can do for me. 
the information that I have at my fingertips. To be honest with you, it makes writing a sermon so much easier. I don't have to have an entire library full of books. They're on a computer that I can carry with me anywhere. Right? It's a great tool for keeping in touch with my family, with my wife, with my kids, wherever they are. At any given moment, you know, this morning I pulled up my, my son who's driving across Texas with a couple of T-Balt boys, and I could see exactly where they were on a map at any given moment. They do, it does great things for us. So I love what it can do for me, but I hate what it does to me. I hate the way that it uh, can, and, and not only provides me so many things, but can, it can also be the biggest distraction in my day. It can be the biggest source of additional demands that I didn't have going into the day, but that just start coming in throughout the day. And it can be the biggest time waster ever. It's a love-hate relationship. I love what it can do for me. I hate what it does to me. Uh, An author that I was reading, uh, I was reading a book a couple of weeks ago, you know those things with the covers on them and the pages that you turn? Okay, I was reading it on Kindle. Um, (laughs) But it was a book once, originally. It's available as a book. Um, And and he writes this. It's a great picture of, of what we're facing right now says, the doors to the world have been flung wide open, and the view that's available is staggering. Through technology and innovation, opportunities abound and possibilities seem endless. As inspiring as this can be, it can be equally overwhelming. The unintended consequence of abundance is that we are bombarded with more information and choices in a day than our ancestors received in a lifetime. Okay, let that sink in for a second, because that's true. We're bombarded with more information and choices in a day than our ancestors received in a lifetime. Harried and hurried, a nagging sense that we attempt too much and accomplish too little haunts our days. And maybe you, too, have a love-hate relationship with this technology. And depending on the age bracket that you fall into, it may just be hate, right? But, but chances are you hate either what it does to you or to others. And most of us have either lived out or seen far too many times the, the images and the scenarios that we see in that video. We see them happening around us constantly in coffee shops, in restaurants, maybe at our own kitchen table. Uh, It really is an epidemic situation. I'm learning. I'm a slow learner sometimes, but I am learning. Uh, But I I do remember, okay, my wife reminded me, um, is another way of saying that. Uh, My wife reminded me as we were talking about this message this week, uh, of a time when we were out to dinner at uh, a restaurant called True Food over in the Biltmore, and if, if my memory serves me correctly, we had maybe been to the Apple Store right before that, and I don't know if there was a new device coming out that I was excited about or what it was, but we're sitting at dinner, and um, I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I, I looked up from my phone, 
uh, across the table, and I looked at my wife, and I said, honey, what are you thinking about? I know, I know, that was mistake number two, right? <laughs> that was a loaded, open-door question, right? And because she is a firm believer in the Second Amendment, she let me have it with both barrels, and she said, I'm thinking that I really wish you would look at your phone less. Okay. Point taken. You know, I had been sucked in to something, probably something meaningless, and was ignoring something meaningful right in front of me. Uh, I had taken something that should be categorized as least important uh, and put it higher than something that clearly should be most important uh, in my life. The author that I quoted earlier goes on, he starts the next paragraph in his book. He says, we sense intuitively, right? We know this already, that the path to more is through less. But the question is, where to begin? And he's right, the path to more is through less. The path to more depth and more meaning and more purpose the path to more of all of those is through less distraction and less shallowness and less regret. The path to more is through less. And if the question is where to begin, um, then that's the question that I hope to help you answer today. As we cover uh, what are the three D's of connected 3D. And as we look at these, we believe that this is a pathway to help you get reconnected. As, as Jeff talked about last week, with uh, we were created, God created us to have dominion over the earth and the things of the earth. And, and technology is something that has come uh, from the earth, it's come from us, but it's something that has the uh, capacity to have dominion over us instead of the other way around. And our desire is to have creation the way God intended it in line so that we are the ones that have dominion over technology instead of technology having dominion over us. Uh, that we are the ones making demands of it rather than it making demands of us. So how do we do that? Well, we believe that the first step uh, is to disconnect to connect. Uh, that we need to unplug, we need to disconnect from devices, from distractions, in order to connect with people and purpose. Second, we need to define and align. We need to define and align our values and our priorities. And thirdly, we need to develop external boundaries. And we believe that as we do these three things, uh, that we will find ourselves headed in the right direction uh, towards leading a deep and meaningful life. That we're not anti-technology. We love the things that it can do for us. But we are pro-meaningful. Meaningful lives, meaningful relationships, investing in what matters most to us. So the first of our disconnect, uh, or the first of our D's is disconnect to connect. 
When is the time? When is the time that you unplug, that you disconnect, so that you can connect to people, to your Heavenly Father, to God's Word? When are you disconnecting? Jesus modeled disconnecting for us. In a search through the New Testament, I, I found that there's examples of Jesus disconnecting, Jesus unplugging in all four of the Gospels. And anybody that um, studies the Bible would tell you that, that the things that appear in all four Gospels tend to be the most significant things that we need to know and understand. And so we see in the book of Matthew that Jesus, right before his crucifixion, his biggest uh, obstacle uh, in his journey, right, is the cross, right? <clears throat> and so before he heads to the cross, he does what? He heads to the garden, and he takes his disciples. Uh, and it says that Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then in the book of Mark, right after Jesus has healed Peter's mother of the fever that she was suffering from, it says that Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went and found a desolate place, and there he prayed. In the book of Luke, it says that in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night long he continued in prayer to God. And finally, in the book of John, after feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to take him by force and make him king, uh, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Just four of several examples of Jesus unplugging to plug in to the Father. And as we were looking at, at these three this week, I kind of wondered if... if uh, you know, number two and number three should actually be number one and number two, and disconnect to connect should be the final one, right? That we should be doing all this preparation so that we can disconnect to connect. But what I realized is that disconnect to connect is actually the one that feeds the other two. It's when we take the time to disconnect that our values and our priorities come into focus and into line, and we realize what the most important things are to us. And it's then that we are motivated to establish those external boundaries that we need. And so we disconnect to connect, and it feeds the rest of the process. So when do you disconnect to connect to the people that matter the most? You know, I live with me all the time, um, so I have a lot of examples of me to give you. Uh, and, and another stunning, stellar example uh, of my wisdom and excellencies as a husband uh, came several years ago when we were up in Sedona. Um, of course, I brought my trusty iPhone with me. And um, it was just the two of us, just my wife and I. We have four kids. God bless them. No, literally, God bless them. Um, have four kids that we love, but we need to disconnect to connect sometimes. And so we were up in Sedona enjoying a couple's weekend, and, you know, we like to go up there with very little plans 
and just kind of go with the flow and see what we want to do. And that day we had decided that we were going to go spend some time on the back patio of our casita, just looking at the red rocks and enjoying being outside and the nice weather and the quiet and the stillness. And um, so my wife gets up and she gets ready to go out there, grabs a book or you know whatever she was doing. And, and I turned on my phone and I was sitting there in the living room of the casita and probably watching some videos, you know, scrolling through Facebook, check my email, da, da, da. And the next thing I know, there's a very angry woman standing next to me <laughs> because she's waited 20 minutes outside. And I had no idea that it had been 20 minutes. Uh, 20 minutes felt like 20 seconds, max two minutes. You know, I'd been sucked into this time warp, you know, Talk about, you know, disconnecting to connect, right? The, the very few times that we get away as a couple to connect. And here I am connecting with what could poss possibly be the most meaningless thing in the world uh, and sending a clear message to my wife about what my priorities were. I was failing to connect to the person that mattered most. And we are all susceptible to getting sucked into these uh, time warps and the question is, when do you disconnect to connect? And if you don't, you need to find a time. And if you need to find someone else to help you make a time, then find someone else to help you make a time. But if Jesus needed to disconnect to connect, then who are we to think that we don't? So find a time. When is the time to disconnect to connect? So the first step is that, uh, and the second step is define and align. And this is the time when we ask ourselves the question, what do we value most? Who do we value most in life? And then the second question that comes after that is, does our behavior, do our patterns of behavior reflect those values that we just said that we hold? Or do, uh, does our behavior and our patterns uh, of life contradict the things that we say we value the most. And once we answer those questions, we, begin, we can begin to define and align our lives so that there's congruence instead of disconnect uh, between our actions and our values. Uh, a passage that gives us a great picture, a very helpful picture for us in this regard, um, comes from the author of Hebrews. Uh, and he was writing to Jewish believers who had many, many difficulties and hardships uh, in their journey of faith. And he was writing to encourage them uh, to finish the race, the race to persevere, uh, to run well. And while we're not under uh, persecution, we too want to finish well. Uh, and here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews writes. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, he writes this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The, the setting of this word picture that the author of Hebrews gives us is, is a race. Uh, and to be more specific, it's a race that takes place in a stadium. So you see in that first part it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, um, can you pull up the picture of the stadium, please? <clears throat> what, 
When the author of Hebrews writes, uh, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's referring to the previous chapter in Hebrews, which is often known as the Hall of Faith. It's all these Old Testament saints and the life that they lived of faith. And what he's saying is um, that we as Christians are the ones running this race, right? We're the ones down in the competition uh, in this stadium, and that those Old Testament saints are the ones seated in the stands, cheering us on, watching us race. And a little fun fact for you, um, some of you may have been over at the Cardinals stadium um, yesterday. Well, every time you think of a stadium, you can now think of a stadium like this, because our word for stadium comes from the Greek word stadion, which referred to a race of 600 yards. And to facilitate this race of 600 yards, they built what they called a stadion, or a stadion, Right? And that just came to be the word for any kind of an arena where a sporting event took place. Um, so it referred to this 600-yard race, and that is the metaphor that the author of Hebrews uses for us to get a picture of what he's saying. He's saying that there's a race, and that this race is the Christian life. The race that he's talking about is the Christian life. He says that our eyes should be fixed on Jesus, and we should be cognizant of the, all the Old Testament saints that have gone before us because they're in the stands cheering us on. And then he gives us two pieces of advice, two commands. The first is, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance, this Christian, this Christian life. How do you run with endurance? Well, if you're an athlete and you want to finish the race, you need to have an understanding of what the race is so that you can prepare for it. You need to have an understanding of what the goal is and a focus on that goal and a sense that you're in it for the long haul. That is how you run a race with endurance. So the second, first piece of advice he gives us is to run with endurance, and the second piece of advice he gives us is to lay aside he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The word that's translated here, lay aside, is also often translated other ways like take off, put off, uh, or get rid of. And so he wants us to put off, to put away, to lay aside, or get rid of two separate things. Uh, the first one he points out is every weight, and the second one is sin which clings so closely. Now, I think, it's, I think it's interesting for us, it's helpful for us to understand that he could have just said, let us lay aside sin, which clings so closely. Because we all know that we should lay aside sin, uh, that sin, this destructive power that can be present in our lives and can consequences in our lives is something that we should set aside in our Christian life. But it's important to understand he didn't just say set aside sin. He didn't just say get rid of sin. He said something else. He said to put off every weight, every impediment, every entanglement, Everything that trips you up in the race. Everything that ensnares you from running the race. Everything that hinders you or slows you down from running the race of the Christian life. 
He tells you, commands you, get rid of it, set it aside, take it off, let it not be a part of your life anymore. Because that's what you need to do if you are going to run the race with endurance. If you are going to be able to maintain focus on the prize and the goal, then you are going to have to shed some things in your life in order to reach the finish line in the way that you want to finish. And it's perfect that we're talking about this today. Because in another part of this great city, there are some madmen and women who think it is enjoyable to run 26 miles on the same day. They even pay money to do it. And they're running a race today called the P.F. Chang's Marathon, or Half Marathon. And I wish we could be there to see them, because they're demonstrating this very principle for us. But the best I could do was a photo from the start of last year's race. And I don't know if you can see it very clearly, uh, but from up here, they are carrying only the bare necessities to run this race. I don't see anyone with a tablet as they run. I see no one with a laptop under one arm and carrying their mouse in the other. I see no backpacks, no big screens. I don't see any of it. No satellite dishes, nothing, no briefcases, they are traveling light. They have shed every weight, every impediment, not even carrying water in most cases, because they understand the race and the course, and that those things are going to be provided along the way. But the P.F. Chang's marathon would look very different if people gave no thought to what they carried with them during that race. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times we allow things in our lives simply because they're not wrong. And I'll be the first one to tell you, um, <clears throat> and the people in junior high and high school ministries right now would want me to say this, there's, there's nothing wrong with social media, and there's nothing wrong with technology. It's not wrong. Where we need to be asking the question is, personally, is it an impediment for me? Is it helping to put my focus on Christ or away from Christ? Is it helping put my mind where I want my mind to be or taking me to places where my mind shouldn't go? How much of my time and thinking and thought life and my heart is really wrapped up in all of this? Who has dominion over whom? Is really the question that we need to be asking. And so what waits? I, I want you to picture yourself at the starting line of the P.F. Chang's half marathon and to help picture yourself in shape, okay? Maybe in a younger body, 
maybe in someone else's body. Some of us were just not built to run. Um, But picture yourself at the start of that race. And think about what you'd be willing to carry with you that's so important that you would drag it for 26 miles to the finish line. Because you and I are dragging all kinds of stuff with us and thinking that we're still going to finish and finish well. But every choice that we make is sending a message about what we value most. And every time we choose to connect here instead of somewhere else, we're failing to invest in the things and the people and the purposes that really have meaning and matter. What are you carrying? What do you need to drop? Because the path to more is really through less. So we disconnect to connect. We define and align our values and our priorities that come into focus when we disconnect. And then we develop external boundaries. Once again, Jesus had boundaries. He knew when to be with the masses, when to be with 72, when to be with 12, when to be with 3, and when to ditch all of them. Because he needed to be alone and unplug so that he could plug back in. You know, if you look at those times that Jesus disconnects, they're strategic. Because there's just been some outlay of himself, and he understands that if he's going to finish well, he needs to get plugged back in to regenerate, to get reconnected. And for us, now more than ever, as Jeff shared last week, the lines are blurred. The lines between work and home, what friendship is, what relationships are, what real connection looks like, have been blurred now more than ever. And we need to develop some external boundaries. We need to establish some rules and some limits for ourselves, for our homes, for our times of connecting and disconnecting. And we need to establish times in our week where we just put these things away. Right? Times in our week where we just set this aside and we make an announcement that we declare that that thing is with me always, but you are not. And you're a priority, not that. We need to establish, develop and establish these external boundaries. I think it's only fair if I share a story about my wife, too. We've been having some discussions. I don't know if you know, but you should be praying for us because we have three adolescent children and one on the way. Don't take that wrong. He's already born. Um, He's just not an adolescent yet. But I'm I'm sharing this as an adolescent so that it can remain gender neutral and the child may remain anonymous, as far as you know. Um, But we're after dinner, and most of the kids have kind of taken off, but one of them has some questions for us, and so we're having this discussion. And this particular individual um, would like some more freedom and would like some of the freedom that's been taken away to be given back, and um, is kind of exploring boundaries and privileges, and when can I this, and how can I that, and why do you this, and why do you that, and 
So my wife and I are seated at the table and we're having this discussion and um, a very direct question comes my way and <clears throat> I answer it very directly um, and then I turn to look at my wife for support, you know, because that's what we do for each other is we're there to back each other up and say, yep, I'm on board, I'm with dad. And, and I turn and look because she's kind of out of my peripheral vision and I look and this is what I see. She's playing two dots on her phone. <laughs> it's a game. I'm having this important adolescent <laughs> discussion and she's playing two dots on her phone. I just looked at her. Really? Really right now? We're in the middle of this conversation and you're playing two dots? And she just looks at me like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> we know how it happened. You know, she was, we were having this discussion and she got a text message that was like a hand grenade. It was super um, stressful for her. And her way of, co you know, she opened up her phone to look at the full message and two dots was open. So to deal with the stress, she just started playing. We've all done that before. But, but isn't that such a great illustration of two things, right? Um, the first is how easily we can get sucked into something that we don't even necessarily want to get sucked into. And it happens to us even at significant times in our lives. We still get sucked in. And the second is how whoever has your phone number can just lob that grenade into your family discussion at any point in time. Because the phone is on, it's in your pocket, it's in your hand, it's sitting on the table, and they just have the ability to send demands or hand grenades or whatever it is into your time. We need boundaries. We all need boundaries. And we need to establish them for ourselves and for our families and understand why they're important so now at our dinner table, we have a basket in the middle. And when you sit down, the phone comes out and it goes into the basket. And I keep a big butcher's knife right next to the basket in case anybody tries. No, <clears throat> no, no butcher's knife. But we're trying to establish some limits, right? We're trying to say we're together, right? This is meaningful. This is time we want to be together and have a real discussion. And maybe you want to do that with your friends, right? Your business partners that you meet for lunch, friends you haven't seen for a long time, family members, whatever it is, right? Uh, I heard a guy talking this week um, about when he has a few friends that he gets together for lunch or dinner on a regular basis, and they all put their phones in the middle of the table when the meal starts. <clears throat> and whoever reaches for their phone first has to pay for everybody's meal. Right? It's a great idea. It's a great idea. Um, that's an example of limits, right? Establishing a time when the laptop closes and gets put away and the phone gets turned off and put away and it's time to deal with the things that are most important in our lives. We're modeling our priorities and our values to the people around us, whether that's our friends, our family, our coworkers. With whatever we're choosing, we're, we're sending a, a message about our priorities. And again, I just want to emphasize, technology is not bad. That is not the message that we're sending. 
Technology can be very, very good. It's just that it becomes bad when it rules us, when it derails us, is when it becomes bad. And I just want to invite you to take an honest assessment for yourself. What are the weights that you are carrying with you? They're not wrong, but maybe they're not right either. When are the times that you're going to choose to disconnect so that you can connect? And let's make an honest assessment, okay? Um, Because it's really easy for me to overvalue my social media evangelism campaign, okay? It really is easy for me to overvalue that. But an honest assessment would say, okay, let's really look at this, right? How many lives has my Facebook post changed? in the last five years. I, I can't count them, so uh, I don't have anything to show for it. Uh, and chances are, the people that are really responding to that are people that are already like me, right? They're the ones that I'm friends with on social media, right? And I just want to free you up right now, okay? None of us in this room are gonna hold you responsible personally for the outcome of the upcoming presidential election. Okay, so I don't want you to carry that burden, right? Like you need to, you know, sway everyone with your social media posts. I'm as guilty as the next person, though I'm a little bit reformed um, in that regard. But let's, let's make an honest assessment, okay? Let's weigh what the real effect is versus how much of us it's consuming. Let's, let's weigh, you know, how it's changing the world versus how it's changing us and decide whether this is helping us win the race or helping us get focused on the wrong race altogether. An honest assessment. And let's ask, really, who has dominion over whom? You roll the last. Mm-hmm.